Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Danielle Davis from Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Danielle will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Carvel Wallace, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at SVU Season 9, Episode 14, Inconceivable. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and host of the podcast Crime Writers on, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. I think you forgot to mention my other credential which is that I had my kids the old-fashioned way, right? That's what Elias Stabler said. I'm going with that, too. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's a whole lot of moral judging going on in this episode. There is, there is. And helping us to do that moral judging is our special guest from Slate's Mom and Dad, our fighting podcast, the man cheating on me with my own wife in that other <laughs> podcast, Carvel Wallace. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Very happy to be here. Sorry about the awkwardness about our cheating. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. So, Carvel, what's it like matching parental skills against Rebecca? She she forces me to up my game um, because I just don't want her to like laugh at me or make fun of me. So, I ever since meeting Rebecca, I now parent exclusively out of fear, and uh, I think that's made me better. Yeah, Maybe me too. Me too. We have that in common. <laughs> like a diamond formed by pressure. Yeah. Do you cry a lot around her? Or is it just me? I try to keep my crying to a minimum because she would also make fun of me for that. So. I know, yeah, that's a trap. I weep. I weep silently, you know. To be real, though, Carvel is so good at answering parenting questions and, like, being the model parent that you wish you could be. On that show, Slate's Mom and Dad are Fighting, when I get yeah. asked a question first, it comes to me first, and then I answer it, and I think I'm being, like, super astute, and then Carvel weighs in. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> it was so much smarter and more zen and more peaceful and mindful than I could ever be. So we're kind of like frenemies on that show. And the stuff Aww. he's writing and doing, like... He's legit. Like he is like really doing cool super stuff right now. We should everybody should be like just Googling Carvel Wallace right now and reading everything that he's writing. Does that include all oh, of his, his bathing suit photos too? Is that <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> well, about? Well, I mean if you're talking about, you know, Googling all this stuff, that's gonna come up. 
That's like page three or four of the search results. We don't need to go that deep. <laughs> deep cuts. <laughs> I was young. I needed the money. Well, Rebecca's right. You are an accomplished writer. And I'm wondering how much of what you thought you knew about the criminal justice system when you started writing was shaped by shows like Law & Order. Oh, pretty much entirely. That's all I know is, is what I discovered from Law and Order. I know that uh, I know how to interrogate people. This is what I, I do my interviews based on Law and Order methodology. I'll just play both parts. <laughs> You're both you good know, cop th- and bad cop. I throw chairs around. I get in people's faces. I try and get in people's minds. Now, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I thought about this. Finn and Munch are the best yeah. duo. Yes. Of all time. That's the dynamic duo. Oh, my God. It's so exciting <laughs> that have, someone said that. Yeah. They have everything. They're, they're grizzled. They're wrinkled. They have a love-hate relationship. They both have, uh, you know, like weird skin. I mean, it's just, it's everything you want from a cop. I see he's never taken his hair out of that, like, dookie braid. And I keep waiting for him to do an episode where he just lets it all, his locks just flow down. And he never has. <laughs> they are kind of a little bit of an Abbott Costello team there. I mean, they're the swing crew, so they're always doing sort yeah. of that B-plot interrogation and exposition stuff. But they really are, you know, the odd couple that people like. So one of our favorite, we have not done this episode on the show yet. We're sort of saving it. I don't know what we're (laughs) saving it for. Like if we ever book, I don't know, who are we waiting for? Like Mariska Hargitay or something to do this episode? (laughs) I'd love to have Ice-T on for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite all-time scenes on Law and Order SVU is when Finn and Munch go on a road trip and they're in a motel room together. There you go. And Munch is wearing his black silk pajamas and Ice-T has his (laughs) do-rag. All you need is that That's site. All you need. <laughs> the funny- no, and you're right. The Abbott and Costello comparison is dead on because they really are that kind of comic duo, especially when they have to go out and do something together. Now that he's on you know, these more recent episodes of SVU and it's, you know, it's 15, 16, 17 years later, I'm really enjoying the way that Finn is doing his trunk club wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like with the deconstructed cashmere jackets. And... <laughs> Carvel, do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial. Team. Well, everyone likes Casey Novak. I like D.A. Cabot probably because the sexual tension is so high every time she interacts with anyone. I think that's probably, <laughs> I mean, it's just so intense. And men, uh, women, yeah, canines. Men, women, like, yeah, just whatever. Just anyone Hit in the men. police force. Men, you name it. Just the whole thing becomes like basic instinct as soon as she walks into the room. It's really powerful. So I guess in the game of assistant DAs and kill, Mary fuck, I think we know who you're going with. <laughs> we know who one of them is going to be anyway. <laughs> Possibly, although I, I was torn on this too because my other favorite guy is, is Raphael Barba oh, yeah. because I just love the story that he comes from the projects. Like you like that when there's that episode where like his guy that he grew up with is running for mayor or something, yes. but then yeah. he gets caught in like this sexting scandal. And I'm just trying to imagine that guy from the projects, that guy who's clearly a musical theater actor. <laughs> like I'm just like really trying to place him <laughs> In the Bronx, you know, as a child, I, just, I can't do it. And I just love that SVU was like, it doesn't matter. This guy's from the projects. He is. He well, speaks Spanish. He's from the projects. That's all you need to know. I guess it was like real life West Side Story. <laughs> exactly. Now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> we open on a high end fertility clinic where a woman has just strong armed a nitrogen filled tank 
full of frozen eggs and embryos. And despite a very lame, hey, wait, come back, she escapes, <laughs> which also kills the mood for all of the present sperm donors. Deranged female perp stole a portable cryotank from a clinic. 2-6 caught it a couple of days ago. They're sending over the file. What's in the cryotank? The victims. About 100 frozen embryo. Fertilized eggs. Eight cells each. Now, Don doesn't believe this falls under your purview, but those are potential children who have been kidnapped. If they're not special victims, who is? Are they, though? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is therein lies the deep question. (laughs) Now, the tank only has about three days of nitrogen left, and when it runs out, all 100 eggs will perish. Virtually every client is a suspect. There's the divorced man who doesn't want his ex to implant their embryo. His greedy ex. There's a dwarf woman who wants to make sure her baby is also a little person. We have poor Eva, a single woman who stored her eggs knowing her cancer treatment would leave her sterile. There's the couple with a severely disabled girl who, in an effort to ensure their next child will be healthy, are harvesting their disabled daughter's <laughs> eggs so mom can give birth to her own grandchild. And I can't believe you. we are only like 17 minutes into this episode. <laughs> they cover so much oh so God. quickly in the first act of this thing. And so, meantime, we're treated to various close-ups of Olivia Benson looking pained anytime someone mentions their biological clock. The detectives figure out that the receptionist gave the janitor the night off and the frozen egg kidnapper took his place. The culprits are not any of the parents. They're Mr. and Mrs. Grawl, leaders of a fringe religious group who took the embryos as a publicity stunt. Now, uh, can I get a rating on the crazy scale, Carvel? How nuts is this episode? (laughs) This episode, okay, when the first action in the episode is someone wearing scrubs and like those little booties that you cover your shoes with, running down a hallway with a nitrogen take filled with embryos and that's like in the first seven (laughs) seconds you know the episode is going to be bananas it it delivers on its promise and the first thing you hear is the doink when she hits the guy in the face (laughs) so great the foley in that scene is so fantastic we actually you know we had both seen the episode before like it's when you were going to watch this and last night we're like kids you got to come watch this episode with us and it was like check out this foley artist guy it was like watching a Laurel and Hardy skit it really was it was incredible. Now, I feel like describing this episode is like Stefan in one of those Saturday Night Live skits. <laughs> yes. It's like, this episode had everything. <laughs> Stolen embryos, paraplegic egg donors, dwarfs. <laughs> It really did. I have to say that scene we have we have to talk about it because to me that is like the most tasteless sight gag you could do. And she calls herself a dwarf in the show. I think what we say little person like in other pop culture. Yeah, she also used that term. Yeah. yeah so she, she also well she calls it LP. She wants to make sure. Yes. And then Lake has to translate. So. Yeah, exactly. Chester. <laughs> Chester. It has Chester Lake. It's Chester Lake. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about Chester Lake is that they were just like I feel like the writer was like he's Native American. And then just put his pencil down, put his head back, and was like, well, that character's developed. (laughs) (laughs) Until it was time to get rid of him, and it went bonkers. Uh, Exactly. But that sight gag, that scene where they meet the little person, she's on a ladder, but we don't know that. It just looks like she's a scientist in a library, and she's standing there with Finn and Munger. No, we're standing with what? Finn and Chester? Finn and Chester. Finn and Chester. She's standing there with Finn and Chester, just talking to them. And then. And I level, telling them all this complicated scientific stuff. And it was so And the shot is like really close up. (laughs) Yes. It was a cheap sight gag to have her walk down that ladder. It was like, 
Way to throw in a bunch of dialogue to educate us while then completely erasing it by doing the cheapest like exploitation sight gag of a little person you could possibly do. Why shouldn't I be allowed to have a child who looks like me? Everybody else can. So if you weren't allowed to, why should all those other parents, right? I think someone would have noticed if the thief were four foot one. <laughs> hey, speaking of sight gags, Rebecca thinks this is probably of the 1,000 episodes of Law and Order that this was the funniest one she'd ever seen. <laughs> so Munch has a super great uh, piece of Munch dialogue where it is very Munch way. In the squad room with a giant PowerPoint behind him is like, Well, we had our sketch artist do a rendering. That's one of our victims. Should I put out an APB on him? And then he turns over the piece of paper, and it's eight circles inside of another circle because we heard that the quote victims were just eight celled embryos. It was, and it was so fast that all the times I watched the episode, I was like, I got to rewind and see that again. I got it. It was, it was, it was freaking amazing. I paused the TV to scream laughing. (laughs) Oh my god! And the thing that blew me because I actually was like, if we don't talk about that, I'm going to stop the show and make sure that we address that because then I was like, did he just have that waiting? Like was was he waiting for Cragen to come out and be like, do we have any progress with the case? So he could be like, oh shit, this is great. Like I would watch a whole episode of Munch just getting that idea, sneaking off to a desk somewhere, getting a marker, a piece of paper, and being like, oh, this is going to be so good. I'm waiting for somebody to come over. Like waiting for someone to come over and be like. Have we made any progress? Because he had that picture ready. Yeah. This was like his Andy in Parks and Rec moment, right? Or like his Jim <laughs> on The Office. Remember the like, elaborate yes. pranks that Jim would play on Dwight where like he would yeah. like be doing like Morse code with his typing or whatever. And uh, this was like that. Like, and it, But it goes, it just goes by too fast. Like we don't get any of the payoff as a viewer. That bit needed a take to the camera. If there was any time that show should have break <laughs> the, broke the fourth wall, it should have been much. Just like giving a sly look at the camera like, <laughs> got him. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sound effect, like, wah, wah. <laughs> Now we've got a, a plethora of Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, it's that guy. Now I'm only going to f- really focus on two, but I'm going to play speed round with so many of these other ones, okay? We going to do this? Sure. I'm ready. Carvel's ready. Okay, Carvel, you get the first one. The Chief of Detectives. What's the actor's name? Oh, that's Herman Munster, man. I forgot his name, but that's... Uh... That is Herman Munster from the from the remake of the Munsters. You're his right. His name is oh, I forgot his name. It's John Shook. Elliot, I understand you're a proud new papa. Oh, is this the uh, little dyke? Eli. Now that is fine work, detective. He was also on Macmillan and Wife, and he was in the movie Mash. He was uh, Painless Paul, the the dentist who uh, wanted to commit suicide by black capsule. It's a famous scene in Mash. Okay, Rebecca. Yep. Doctor Burlick. Oh, that's the dude from um... yeah, actor's name. Give it to me. Uh, Richard something. Oh, is he related? No, it's it's Richard something. Yeah. That's the dude from Transparent who plays Judith Judith Light's uh, ne'er do well boyfriend, Buzz. who's actually kind of a fraud. Buzz, yeah, <laughs> Richard Mazur, and most people remember him first off as Anne's boyfriend, David Kane from One Day at a Time. You know, many of these couples have been trying for years to get pregnant. One woman went through in vitro before undergoing chemotherapy, which made her infertile. Carvel, the religious activist James Grawl. What's oh, the actor's Doug name? Phillips. It's that is Mark Moses. Doug Correct. Phillips. And he was also in Desperate Housewives. I've tried, but they won't give me the names of the parents of those embryos. I want to express my condolences. If any of them are having funeral services, I'd like to attend. Now, what about his wife, Victoria Grawl, Rebecca? <laughs> That's a layup. That's Janine Turner from Northern Exposure. People need to be told that there are organizations out there that will arrange for the adoption of unwanted embryos. That's great, especially for all those gay and lesbian couples in the market. They are only put in suitable homes. Wait a second. You know what else she is? She's the only person, the only guest star in the history of the show to ever match 
Olivia Benson eyeshadow for eyeshadow. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I'm consistently obsessed with Olivia Benson's eyeshadow because they always put her opposite these grieving mothers whose babies have been like abducted. And so these these women never they're always wrapped in a shawl and they haven't slept in three days. And then Olivia's always there with this perfect face, subtle but clear, perfectly gradient. And that woman was the only person I ever see stare Olivia eye to eye, eyeshadow to eyeshadow. It was beautiful. Jesus Christ. I feel like I have found, I really have found my podcast soulmate because I want to talk about Olivia's damn makeup every time I do mm. this show, but I know that Kevin will just be like, whatever, yay, that's great. But <laughs> it's unreal. It's, it's unreal. unreal. But also imagine like when I look at her, I think she's getting up for her job in the morning as a cop. And she's contouring. Yes. Yes. Really? She's contouring. <laughs> she's contouring. And I mean, because the, the thing I always think when I watch that show is these people never sleep. Like they, they're never not working a case. Like, I mean, every time one of them is home with a glass of wine, you know, some suspect or victim is going to knock on the door or call or someone's <laughs> going to get shot. These people never rest. So I'm like, how is she the one? Well, this is why the, yes. they say she doesn't have time to adopt a kid because she's putting on all this makeup all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was in the notes. Yeah, it was. It was. Okay, let me look, talk about my two favorite Hey, It's That Guys here. One of them is a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Rebecca, tell me about the actress who played Eva Stenzel. That's Gabrielle Anwar. I got caught up in my career and time just got away from me, you know. And I was in complete denial about my biological clock. And then I got cancer. She was, like, in the early 90s, like, a, an it girl. She was in a ton of stuff. Notably, Absolutely. she was in Scent of a Woman. That was, like, I think her big, big yes. thing that she was in. And then she sort she of disappeared. She did the tango scene she with, did, with yeah, she the did that 40-minute tango yes. scene. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing I'll say that I, call, I kind of call a little bit of bullshit on was it, uh, it came up a couple of times in the episode she was supposed to have had cancer and had chemo, like, four months ago. But her hair yeah. was, like, halfway down her back. And I'm like, yeah. unless you were that, like, one person who, like, never yeah. lost, like, a stitch of hair, uh, that was a little bit weird. There's a little bit of a detail, I think, that they missed out because they wanted this actress on the show. Yeah. It was also weird. I thought she, I thought she was weird casting in general because they couldn't decide if she was going to, like, do the have an accent or not because, you know, she joins a long line of British actors who come over here and take our jobs by pretending to do American <laughs> accents. But she was so half committed that you didn't even know. And I just felt like she was kind of below her station. Like, I felt like she should be walking her father's grounds deciding which lord to marry. That's right. You know, not like, not like sitting in a precinct room in like a fleece vest and like an infinity scarf looking for her aides. You know what I mean? I just felt that it was weird. It was weird to see her there. Well, she finally settled on an accent because she uh, spent many years as Fiona on the cable spy series Burn Notice. All right, I want to know who recognized Emilio Delgado. Who was that? Whoa, was that the janitor? It was a janitor. Oh, wow! I had no idea. Who, I have no idea who I he is. I think you got for, us. It's Luis yeah. from Sesame Street. Oh, Get shut the fuck, fuck out of no, here! No way. Yes. No. Last week she told me not to come in Sunday night. I said I could put in for it anyway. No Whoa, fucking way. I got you good. I got you good. <laughs> I can't believe Whoa. it. That's incredible. I knew I recognized him, but fuck, it was so, the context was so different. But wait, is this possible that there's a shared New York universe between <laughs> Sesame Street well, Gina and SVU? Has, Gina has been on so many episodes of Law and Order at SVU. It's completely possible. This is what happened to Luis after, you know, he retired from whatever job he did on Sesame Street. Yeah, he w got a job picking up dirty Kleenex at a fertility <laughs> clinic. Jeez. Man, he fell hard. I'd rather live in the garbage can with Oscar. <laughs> he got to jump on sticking magazine pages. 
It's on the walls. It's on the chairs. Oh, um, <laughs> the crime scene crew at that lab, they must have wanted to kill themselves after going through with the black light. We're looking for fingerprints. Oh, it's everywhere. Oh, God. We got three days. Oh, it'll take us seven years. All right, let's just start with the place where there's not semen. <laughs> they cleaned up ground zero faster. <laughs> Can we just pause for a second to talk about that incredible scene where they go visit the couple oh with, the di- with the daughter with oh, the disability? There's a, there's a who's that guy in that scene. There is? Oh, there is. <laughs> okay. Oh, there is. Who tells? This is the first time a guest has oh, flipped it on is. us. Yes, do it. There is. Who is the dad in that scene? What is the actor? And who is he related to? You got me, you got me, you got, got me. Got me. Who is it? That is James Waterston's son. <gasps> Of Sam Waterston. Oh my wow. God. OMFG. Our case was published in a medical journal. A lot of people are upset about it. We've been flooded with hate mail, hang up calls, even threats. That's a crazy yes. hey, it's that guy. No wonder yes. he didn't get charged. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that let, was him. Let's talk about that part. That is the craziest plot line. It's the mother who wants her disabled daughter's eggs for implantation. It's like a D plot. It takes like three minutes to get through it, and, and it's a, insane. And unfortunately, we just get it, and, the, and then the case goes someplace else. But, man, that shizzle was benizzle. But we have to run down that scene because they, they had like four like, like uh-ohs happening in that scene where you were like, wait, what? Wait, what? So this is a girl who... Um, the daughter, there's a couple that has a daughter that has a developmental disability, which makes her so that she's eight, but has the mental capacity of a three month old or four month old or what have you. That's right. Yep. That, which is already insane. Then they reveal that they are, they have harvested her eggs. Girls' eggs don't start to mature till they hit puberty. Your daughter is only eight. Alicia's taking high-dose estrogen treatments. Turn her into a baby-making machine. We only did one collection cycle. I'd be her surrogate. You'd be giving birth to your own grandchild. She wouldn't be the first. A 51-year-old woman in Brazil just carried twin boys for her daughter. Did the daughter have a say in it? And then you're just like, what? What is wrong with these people? Like, what is all this happening? And then the baby wakes up. My favorite part of that scene is when the baby wakes up. And the mother gives, like, everyone goes, just like babies, she recognizes tense voices. And, you know, so I tries to guilt them. And I'm like, maybe maybe she's waking up because her mother's trying to have her babies. Maybe that's why she can't sleep well. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content. Like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, The Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash 
partners in crime media. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. James and Victoria Grawl of the Values Defense League admit they took the embryos, but they overnight shipped the canister back to the clinic. But like every overnight delivery, the really important ones don't get there on time. So the cops chase the driver all over the city like he's late bringing their blue apron meal. They get the tank back to the clinic, but all of the nitrogen has run out and the embryos have been destroyed. Cue the sad music. The Grawls are arraigned on theft charges, but insist they be charged with murder for allowing the embryos to die. Would the people like to amend the charge? No, Your Honor. The defendants are only grandstanding to further their political agenda. As Your Honor well knows, according to New York law, life does not begin until a baby draws breath. It begins at the moment of conception. Even in the cases of abandoned newborns, a murder charge cannot be brought if it's determined the infant was stillborn. Victoria leaves, but James insists on giving a press conference. Then, in what is a novel approach for the show's writing team, (laughs) James is shot on the courthouse steps. Now, even though there are 5,000 cameras right there, it takes much all day to find one video frame of the shooter. The incarcerated receptionist thinks it's Scott Ryland, husband of a former patient. Stabler and Benson chase him to the airport, but he's not fleeing the country. Instead, he's greeting the flag-draped casket of his wife, a soldier who'd been killed in Afghanistan. She had some of her eggs stored before shipping out so they could still have a baby if she died. Ryland killed Grawl because he now has lost that part of his wife too well now way to bring the room down Kevin (laughs) we're having such a good time should we talk about the dwarf again no we should talk about the arrest of the Grawls well okay right because (laughs) I mean come on glossed over that part so the end of you know the the first half the arrest is they're on television (laughs) yes Yes. in a studio live television and so the cops just embryos are human beings and as such have constitutional rights you want rights how about your right to remain silent let's go so the thing about the girls is first of all they get a lot of camera time I don't mean in the show I mean in the universe of the show because when we first meet them they're also giving a press conference and Benson and Stabler also interrupt that press conference and then like two days later they're on television again like who I just have never seen a conservative group get this much like normal screen time. It's kind of amazing. What group? I think the Values Defense League is the two of them. <laughs> it is. That's all it is. <laughs> right? That's a good point. It seems like they're doing. Otherwise, they'd have a third person that would bring the goddamn tank back. They, yes. they wouldn't go to the FedEx store. <laughs> they went. To they're the like, can you FedEx. weigh this? How much is this to get overnight? <laughs> that one of my oh favorite my parts of the episode was that super tense. I'm doing air quotes right now, chase scene of the <laughs> delivery truck around the city with the yeah, radios. It's good. like it's like 52nd and 4th now. Oh, and now he's on the 6th floor. It's like, yeah, you're just following a truck around, guys. This is not like, you know, this is not Silence of the Lambs. You're not like in a basement in the dark with, you know, Buffalo yeah. Bill right now. But now we know why those UPS tracking codes are so important. <laughs> hey. I, I just, I, I actually, unlike Rebecca, I thought that chase scene was, uh, my heart was, Beating out of my chest. <laughs> because they shot every moment of that scene. Like Ice-T goes like, we're at the truck. He's not in the cab. We're going around back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he radios in every single moment, every step. I'm he taking a left. delivery you know. on the 24th floor. <laughs> exactly. And Munch, and, and Munch is coordinating the whole thing from the office. I mean, that was high drama. How dare you? <laughs> 
I'm surprised. I'm surprised there wasn't a, a truck leaping over a hill in that one. That was top notch. That was the French Connection. Yeah, it was, it was like Munch help us, and he's like, "I'm on hold with customer service." <laughs> I don't have my tracking number. Now, Carvel, by now, isn't the most dangerous place in New York the courthouse steps? Absolutely, I mean, cannot. Like, yeah. Forget yeah, Bedford Stuy, forget Harlem, forget forget all of it. All of it. It's the courthouse steps. If you're standing on the courthouse desk giving a press conference, there is a one in three chance that you will be blown away before you complete your statement. And you just need to know that. You could also be in the courtroom in the Law and Order universe. It's like shockingly easy to just get shot like. To smuggle a gun in. Oh, yeah. Like to get, to get, to get shot. And then it, like probably somebody in like the audience in the courtroom is going to be like an FBI agent undercover or whatever who's then just going to shoot back or whatever. But yeah, it happens all the time and it's like it happens so often that even when it happened in this episode like that wasn't even like the funniest most shocking part of the episode (laughs) but when it did happen that was when uh, my son Henry who's 15 turned to us and said we're only like halfway through the episode right now (laughs) 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 having been a television reporter I love the fact that they all ran for their fucking lives Yeah. And back in the newsroom, the, the news director's like, what footage do you have? And we're like, none, we were running for our lives. <laughs> you, know, there, you know what? There is one shot, one brief shot that I saw the second time I watched it of a photographer turning back to take a picture. So there's one guy who got it. That was probably the photographer that was charged with taking the picture that then we were supposed to believe was the picture of the guy who did it, right? You know, obviously they had a whole bunch of SAG extras and they, they had one real photographer who said, you look the part. You actually have a camera. Come in here. <laughs> <laughs> you stand in this little circle and you get paid scale. There was a big plot hole in the second half of this episode. Well, which was that? No. <laughs> what? A plot hole. Well, there's this thing that happens when Duck, you know, they decide, the couple decides that they want to be guilty but then there's like some sort of weird rift between Duck and Janine Turner when they, uh, you know, kind of go separate ways and like she's like, well, I'm yeah. not gonna. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly like some sort of like marital issue that we're supposed to believe happened because after he's shot, they go to talk to her and she seems sort of like a little bit ambivalent about the fact that her husband was murdered and then that guy doesn't go anywhere right because they were like so, in it together right what i think happened was she was having a crisis of faith that was supposed to be the story right that like he that, that this and not, no, psychic this is, or something? no this is not a theory no i have there's a moment in the final scene when they go to talk to her after he's been shot where i realized that's what's supposed to have been happening so the idea is that he's supposed to be ride or die values defense league and she's supposed to be having second thoughts because the Values Defense League just killed 100 babies. And she's like, well, maybe we aren't defending values as well as we thought we were. And the way I know that is that in the final scene, when they go to her to basically accuse her of possibly plotting her husband's murder because she talked to dude right before the dude shot her, she goes, He said he recognized me. He knew I was with the VDL. He had heard about our troubles, that he would pray for us. I said thank you and that our love and faith would get us through our faith would get us through and before she says the word faith she does like a nine second eye roll that is meant to communicate now i no longer am sure if i believe in faith and i was like that's it she's supposed to be losing faith in the whole thing see here's what i love about the fact that you just gave us that very very subtextual like shakespeare class interpretation of this episode of law and order they do exposition about everything on this show <laughs> there's never subtext there's never subtext no you're right that that's a valid point but here's here's the perspective i'm coming from i actually did go to school to study shakespeare in oh. new york with a bunch of actors who ended up on svu and i took acting classes with when we used to use svu scripts oh no 
in acting classes. Get and so, and, why did yeah, we this meet with years, this? This is crazy. <laughs> this is years ago. I don't remember a single scene, but we would always do scenes from these procedurals because that's like 90% of what you'd be auditioning for as an actor. So you were always had to be like, you know, I didn't know her that well. We just, I just wanted her to be quiet. You know, you had to say that. <laughs> 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 Now, we're at the beginning of what will be years and years of mama drama for Benson. Wow. Mm. And Stapler clearly understands her desire. Why can't he just say it in a way that he doesn't screw it up? Or why does she have to be offended every time Oh, no, uh, no, no, no. Don't blame say, her. Don't blame her. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-oh. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Rut row. Rut row. Wait a minute. Do you, first, just one, okay, just one word answer. Do you doubt Stabler's sincerity when he says that he understands her pain about I feel that? like I'm being trapped. That's not a one word answer. <laughs> no. You doubt his, you don't doubt his sincerity. I don't doubt his okay. fake sincerity. <laughs> no, I don't doubt his sincerity. I don't. All right. So then you, you believe he's trying to say the right thing. Is he just putting his foot in his mouth? He says the wrong thing all the time. He is the one who had the line in the episode, I had my kids the old-fashioned way. He's the one who's approached by the chief of detectives. And what does the detective say when he sees the photo of Stabler's new baby? Nice work. <laughs> no, and, no. And Stabler wait, doesn't we even have to get like... The ex- wait, we got to get the exact line because that, I was I was like, what the fuck did he just say? I, uh, nice work, detective. That's what he said. Which is the creepiest thing you can say to a person about the act of inseminating a woman. Like, what? <laughs> Chief, look what I found inside my wife's uterus. (laughs) Good word, detective. But but this is a man who... It took me nine months to close this case. But this is a man who lives in a world where he doesn't even think that that's weird. Let me clear my throat. In the car, after they leave the creepy couple where the lady wants to have her daughter's babies, and everyone is understandably rattled in that moment. You know you'd make a great mom. Oh my God, I'm not having this conversation. You're great with kids. Yeah, I know. Maybe you should start thinking about having kids in any way you want to do it. I'll support you. Elliot, do me a favor. Yeah. Shut up and drive. He says to her, listen, something, something, your uterus. And she says, listen, none of your fucking business. And he says, okay, but listen, regarding your uterus. So at that point, that's where I'm like, look, the lady said she doesn't want to talk about it with you. She doesn't want to talk about it with you. So the fact that he like nine different times in the episode continues to hound her and bring it up. That's where you're like, yeah, this guy's kind of a douchebag. The baby mama drama, the whole thing for me is a little bit fraught. I feel like it is both a strength and a weakness of the way this character is written. And a, a big part of the weakness of it is that she feels she is so like constantly aggrieved by people in her life who have decided for her that just because it's her priority, like it's all they can think about too. Like God forbid a woman have like a full life and a career and also hope for a kid someday. God forbid that happen with not being like everyone else's fucking business all of the goddamn time. Well, what's interesting about this episode is that it really shows Olivia as like a woman who works in a world of men. I mean, that's part of the interesting tension is that when she's kicking down doors and pulling guns on people, then she's awesome. But when she has to deal with lady stuff, then you realize, wow, she's really out there alone. And none of these guys, these guys are just like, just good luck, soldier. You know, they they don't really know what to say. But then what this episode, the problem is that this episode also seems to hold the point of view that everything would be better for her if she just had a kid. Because in that diner scene, when she's having dinner with Eva, who's called her to be like, has anything happened with the case? Which again, does she ever take time off? That scene is shot like a freaking David Lynch movie. Like, 
Like Eva is like full on Cassandra mode, like warning about like the impending doom. I mean, she just the TikTok, camera gets up in her TikTok. face. Yeah. And she's just like, you have to do it before it's too late. You know, when they push in and like she's like trembling and I'm like, whoa, like, whoa, maybe she doesn't have to do it. You know what I mean? So if she could just get it in, it'd be all set. If she could just get it in. And that and like and that's why I mean, this is where I start to lose because then she hooks up with Dennis from 30 Rock and then that. <laughs> partnership always i'm just like is she straight guys like who, who are we lying to? Like, come on. <laughs> when it comes to bra shopping it's all about finding the right fit for you and there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes double a through g and half cup sizes third love third love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great there's a perfect bra for everyone, and you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. Now you can try one of their best-selling bras for free for 30 days. Just pay $2.99 for shipping, and one of Third Love's signature 24-7 bras will be on its way. Cut the tag off and see how easily a perfect-fitting bra fits into your life. Wash it. Wear it. You might even forget that it's on. If your Third Love bra isn't your new favorite, you can always return or exchange it for free. Go to thirdlove.com slash law and order now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash law and order to try your new favorite bra for free. Thirdlove.com slash law and order. Let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. While only presented as a red herring, part of this episode was inspired by the controversy around the medical treatment given to a child from Seattle. The girl, known only as Ashley X, was born in 1997 with a severe brain disability. Ashley could breathe on her own, but couldn't move, communicate or feed herself and required constant care. At age six, Ashley began showing signs of puberty. This presented her parents and caretakers a new set of challenges. Doctors proposed a series of procedures that would, in essence, prevent the disabled child from growing up. Surgeons performed a hysterectomy, which would prevent Ashley from menstruating into her diaper. They removed her breast buds to prevent discomfort from development. Estrogen therapy was used to stunt her growth. They also removed her appendix, noting she'd been unable to communicate pain if it needed to come out in an emergency. Publication of what was termed the Ashley treatment was extremely controversial among those who care for the severely disabled. Many biothesists said the comfort and long-term health benefits outweighed the invasive nature of the procedures. Despite the ongoing concerns, the Ashley treatment is still used in rare cases today. All right, mom and dad, let's fight. Oh, John, I don't think we're going to fight about this. Uh, okay. You know, think, well, let me start with Carvel. If your daughter uh, oh, had... No, 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 no. Don't say that. Rephrase well, that no, question. No, this is fine. No, this is... Well, okay. let's, let's hear it If first. your hypothetical daughter had this level of disability and uh. a doctor said a series of invasive treatments would improve her quality of life as she got older, would you do it? Oh, Jesus. I mean, I have no idea. It. I don't know that... I don't know. I mean, if it would improve her quality of life as a parent, I guess you're going to want to do whatever you can to improve the quality of life. But the real question that's posed by this episode and by all this stuff is like, would not being born have improved her quality of life? It, I mean, I guess in this case, 
Did you say, maybe I'm wrong about this. Did you say she didn't start showing signs until after birth? Is that correct? Like, so they didn't know she, before. No, she was born. Was I mean, I don't know if they knew before she was born, but she was, uh, they, they knew at birth that, that she they had knew this, at birth. disability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, pretty I, extreme. Because I have to pick an answer. I'm going to say yes, I would do it. Because I think once you have a baby and then once you hold that child, that child is yours. And you're now you're just sort of auto tuned to do whatever you can to make their quality of life as good as you possibly can. So I would probably do this stuff. The egg harvesting thing, which you didn't mention in the real life story, thankfully, that was an S for you. That's a bridge too far because also they were like, wait, they were like, we have to do this because the, otherwise the family line ends here. Like, what the fuck are you, the Habsburgs exactly. with that? Like, why, why exactly. is your family line so important that you need to harvest your daughter's eggs? I know There's we're not there anymore, but yeah. what the fuck is that? I will say this. Um, whatever decision I chose to make, if I had a daughter who was born with all these disabilities, I would not fucking tell anyone or let the doctor write a goddamn paper about it because I do not want my kid to become a D plot on an SVU episode. And I certainly don't want my kid to get a name like Ashley X. It's just not cool to have other people like weighing the choices that you've made that are best for you in the court of uneducated public opinion. Okay, but in real life, no one wanted to harvest Ashley's eggs, thank goodness. But are, are you comfortable with the idea of screening embryos to determine whether your baby will be healthy or not? Hell yeah, I'm yeah. comfortable with it. Sure. I mean, if you're going to go through all of the trouble to, you know, because I'm assuming that if you're doing the whole embryo thing to begin with, there's a problem, right? Probably. Probably most people, unless they suspect something, don't do that. Let me tell you what I'm, how about I say this? What I'm not cool with screening embryos for is like, is my kid going to be 15 pounds overweight? I'm not cool with that. I'm fine with it being, will my kid have a horrible, debilitating disease that will make their quality of life a fucking nightmare versus they'll just be a normal person with a normal chance? Sure. Why not? How about you, Carvel? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. You know, right? So, like, I mean, I think if you're already at the point where for a variety of reasons you're doing the embryo thing, I think it only makes sense to say, well, since we're here and we can do this, let's not leave it up to chance that this child is going to have a debilitating illness that's going to make their life a living hell. Um, it just seems unnecessary to bring a person into the world under those circumstances. I think the most interesting moral question in this episode is raised by the dwarf, frankly, when she says doctors like, she, that's ex- yeah, right. That yeah. was actually an interesting ethical question. That was a two minute scene in an episode that that could have been a whole episode. Like, is it fair to uh, have a kid on purpose just because he wanted to look like you that has, she just says it's not a disability. That has it's not a disability. A physical that's her point. stature that yeah. makes yes. maybe life a little more challenging. But is that unethical? That's a more interesting question. And that's one that I refuse to answer. No, but you're right. She does raise the most, I me mean, because it was the first time that I had actually thought about what she said, which is that being a little person is not a disability. I don't know that I ever thought it was. I just hadn't actually thought about the specific definition that she lays out of a disability. She goes on to say, we have normal lives. We live for a normal length of time. It's just, you know, right. So the only thing is that some things are physically more challenging in the world. Her argument is like, we don't want to raise a kid that grows to be six feet tall when the father and I are, are little people. And that actually seems like a legit argument it's a real question it's like the circumcision question like maybe i don't like it but do i want my boy to look like me like that comes up all the time right so that would also be an lp that, huh 
<laughs> what? There would Whoa. also be an LP. No, it would Little wouldn't penis? Not. Oh, God. <laughs> not gonna, this How did you not episode. see that, Rebecca? How did you not see that? Different episode. Different episode of SVN. How did you not see that? right into that. We've covered that episode already. Okay, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our very special guest, <laughs> very Carvel special. Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> Carvel, how can our listeners follow you online and in print? Oh, that's a great question. I uh, my Twitter handle is at Carvel Wallace, C A R V E L L W A L L A C E, and that is also my website, CarvelWallace.com. And uh, you can find my writing and latest things there, or just Google me. But don't go to the fourth page because that's where you get to the underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can hear Carvel on Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcast along with Rebecca Lavoy. How can our listeners follow you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy and, of course, on our other podcast at Crime Writers On. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These RTR Stories. Our newsreader was Cy Frey. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know about what episodes we'll be talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Thanks again to Third Love for sponsoring today's episode. Third Love uses real women's measurements to create bras that fit better. Available in sizes AA through G as well as their exclusive half cup sizes. Try one of Third Love's 24-7 bras for free for 30 days. If it's not your new favorite, return or exchange it for free. Go to thirdlove.com slash law and order now and try Third Love for free for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash law and order. Order. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.